inconceivable. 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 Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Inconceivable, episode 6. I'm Scoff. I'm Wonk. Hi, Wonk. Hi, Scoff. Alrighty. <laughs> We're gonna move right in. We're gonna dive right in. Because, right in. Um, disclaimer, this episode is so full of stuff to cover, and I don't want to omit anything because it's all very important and very interesting. So... We're either going to be talking a lot faster than usual, or this is going to be a longer episode. I'm not sure which at this point. Probably so. both. Probably both. Probably both. Well, just, we'll dive right in. Um, I think you've actually probably heard of these people. Right. Betty and Barney Hill. The name seems familiar, but I, I can't place it. <sighs> Alright, I'll dive right into it. Alright. Betty, will you shush, cat? <laughs> Stop interrupting me. Um, Betty and Barney Hill are, at this point, a bit of an older couple. I write down their ages somewhere in here. Um, from Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Okay. Barney's just a postal worker, and Betty's a social worker. And they're just kind of, you know, like, average couple. Yeah. Except for one thing, which is that they're an interracial couple. Okay. And this was uncommon. I'm a, okay, so uncommon tells me that this story's in, like, the 19... 19- 50s or earlier? You're close. Um, so the incident happened September 19th, 1961. 61, okay. I was close. At this point, they were in their late 30s slash early 40s. Okay. There's a bit of an age gap. Um, and it happened around 10.30pm, they reported. Okay. They're driving back after a vacation. They're south of Lancaster, New Hampshire. And Betty sees a bright light like a falling star. But it's moving upward. And erratically. Okay. And it's growing bigger and bigger slightly as she's watching. Okay. So, obviously this is weird. She wants a closer look. Their dog is in the car and already needs to go out for a walk, so they just decide to kind of stop at a scenic picnic area south of Twin Mountain. And um, looking through binoculars, this is when she decides she thinks this could be a UFO. All right. Yeah, just, just go straight to okay, the UFO. Okay, just, just bear I'm with me. Go. Um, and this is because her sister claimed to have seen one a few years earlier, so that's why her brain automatically went yeah. there. Um, but Barney, on the other hand, is just like, you know, it could be anything. It's probably something military or yeah, like he just. I don't know if helicopters were commonplace in sixty one. I have no idea. I'm, but he's he's just more okay. Let's not. Jump, Jump to conclusions, to conclusions yeah, okay? I like them. Um, so anyway, without turning, this object descends towards them. They get in the car and they drive on a narrow, isolated road slowly to just kind of keep tabs on it and watch while it gets closer. Okay. So it, when they describe it, it has the, the very typical description. It's odd-shaped, flashing with multicolored lights, about 40 feet long, rotating, completely silent... And has the ability to move erratically, which, you know, like, normal human ships just don't, like, move around erratically every which way. So I'm not saying this is what it is, but I've always found this interesting. When the people talk about seeing UFOs, I'm like, what you're describing to me sounds like a helicopter if it's late at night. The blade's moving super fast. Some helicopters do have lights on the edges of it, so it looks like it's rotating lights around it. 
It can go up, down, left, right without seeming to change direction at all. Some military helicopters are pretty big. Like, that's always been my first thought. It just sounds like a type of helicopter. Really? A 40-foot helicopter? Well, how long do you think a helicopter is from nose to tail? I don't know. They're about 20, 20 to 25 feet. And no that's one's gonna... half! Yeah, but how do you look at something and go, oh yeah, that's 40 feet? Like, Okay, I'm going to tell you one key difference between a helicopter and these stories. Go. Silent. Silent craft. Okay. You can hear a helicopter. You can. That from does forever change away. a little bit, but I'm, I'm just not. letting you know. I I don't personally like really. I I mean, it takes a lot for me to find a UFO case compelling. Yeah. But I'm just saying. There is that thing. Okay. People would know if it's a helicopter because in all the UFO cases that are documented that say are it's famous, silent. yes, they always say it does not make a lick of noise. Interesting. Anyways, moving on. Moving on. So, one mile south of Indian Head, cool name, um, the craft quickly goes towards them, and Barney stops the car in the middle of the highway. And at this point, they're they're trying to, like, track it, but also stay yeah, far you, enough away from it. You don't want to get its attention, but you want to see what it's doing. They're kind of like those people who, like, try and chase tornadoes. Like, don't get too close, but let's keep an eye on... You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, no, I gotcha. That's kind of what the vibe I was getting. Anyway, so when he stops, they say that it hovered like 50 to 100 feet above them. And Barney just said, it looks like a huge pancake. (laughs) Best (laughs) way ever to describe a UFO. (laughs) It's like a giant pancake. So at this point, he gets out of the car and approaches with the binoculars. And he says he just kind of went frozen when he saw, like, you know little shapes that kind of just looked like figures. He said about eight to ten of them that are in front of what looks like windows. Okay. So in his head he was like, well, it, like it could be something else, but it just looks like figures yeah. in windows. You know? Um, but then it gets stranger. Like, his logic mind is just kind of trying to be like, oh, it's, you know, yeah. can some- be something normal. Um, but then it gets weirder when he starts to feel like one of these figures so all he says all but one of them kind of backs away from the windows but one of them is looking and communicates with him okay but he okay but he says it just looked and that's how it was communicating like okay, it literally yeah. communicated by look is what he said interesting um and what he understood because I can't say what he heard, right? He didn't hear it. Yeah. But what he understood from this look talking was stay where you are and keep looking. So this is just kind of the message he's okay. getting vibed with. I don't know how to put it. Um, so they're just watching the craft and they describe it as having red lights on these like kind of bat bat-like wing fins. That kind of come out of the sides. Okay. So first it's like a pancake, and then it has like these red lights, and they kind of fold out like these foldable wings. Yeah. And then they say a long, where is it? A long structure descends from the bottom of it. So a ramp. Pretty much. Okay. Uh, yeah. So at this point, Logical Barney says, okay, these are people. This is some kind of craft. They are communicating with me, but his brain doesn't go to aliens. No, and he my, says these are not either. human. See, my brain would go to this is some kind of military. Sure. Thing that's still where I'd go to, right? Because even like communicating with a look, 
It's not... So yeah, when he... I say it later in my notes, but at the time when he's telling the story, those kind of weird scientific terms like telekinesis or like psychosis, those kind of terms didn't exist. So that's why he just says he talked by looking. Well, even... And even if you're saying like... You know, if you were to say a telekinesis or whatever, or when you imagine something saying it to you, um, or having a conversation with someone but you don't realize, but even like, I think you can definitely get things from looks and your brain fills in yeah. the gap with the other person. Like, right. I've looked at people and the looks can range from like, you are adorable, like, especially when you look at the cats, to I'm going to throw you out the window, <laughs> also when looking at cats. Yeah. So. Fair. I, I do think that you can look at someone and it can convey a lot of meaning. Yeah. But right. it is interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. So anyways, his brain is just saying not human. Yeah. That's all he's thinking at this point. So Barney runs back to the car, drives away, tells Betty to keep an eye on the craft, and says, quote, those things are going to capture us. Oh, fuck. So they're driving away, the object stays above the vehicle, they both at this point, like up until now the craft has been silent, but at this point they start to hear this kind of beeping, buzzing sound. Okay. They say the car vibrates and they feel these kind of strange tingles through their body. And then an alter- onset of an altered state of consciousness is how they put it. And their minds are all dulled. So they don't really say that they pass out, but they kind of go into this weird... I'm, I'm picturing, Altered. like, when you're drunk. Sure. And, or, like, high. And everything is slow, and you're just kind of like, what? Yeah. Or you wake up from a nap, and you're just like... Mm. Yeah, I, I imagine it's, it's like if you were under the influence of a very powerful drug that was dulling your senses and making it impossible for you to, like, be fully awake or focused. Yeah. It's like a train dart, and all the movies like, hey, sure. guys, what's going on? Sure. We'll go with that. <laughs> um, so... The next thing they know when their minds are kind of back to, you know, full capability is they hear the same sounds, they're slowly brought back to full consciousness, they're still driving, there's no sign of the craft, everything seems normal. Uh Uh-huh. So the craft is just gone. Yes. As for the still driving thing, I totally believe that. Mm-hmm. I've definitely driven on a road, and then you're just like, oh my god, you're five minutes down, and you're like, how the hell did I? How did I get here? I don't remember the last five yeah, minutes, and you're like, did I kill someone? Like, I don't know. No dents on my car, but because your crazy, your brain hey? goes on autopilot, if you're and thinking your muscle about, memory too, I think. Yeah, if you're thinking about other things, your body's like, you know what? I take care of this. You do what you got to do. <laughs> Yeah. You're playing out that scenario with that, you know, famous actress in your head, have at her. Nice. You just drive down the highway. So anyways, that's what happened. That's the incident. All right. And following this, this is where things get weird. They weren't weird already? Exactly. All right. So they were uh, 35 miles south from where they, like, left. Does yeah. that make sense? So, they're still driving, but inexplicably now they're 35 miles south. That's 50, 50 or 56 kilometers. Yeah. Um, their memory is spotty. And that's the most that they have in terms of, like, I don't know. Like, 
the only thing that tells them that this wasn't just some kind of weird dream or hallucination is that, yeah, their memory is spotty and for some reason they're further south than they would have been if they had just kept driving. Interesting. Um, they arrive home at dawn and they report having these very strange impulses, unexplained thoughts and ideas and decisions. Stuff like while they were driving home, Barney would just take an unexpected turn for no reason and be like, why did I do that? Uh-huh. Um, Betty insisted that the luggage had to go beside the back door and not in the main part of the house for whatever reason. Barney says, I was compelled to examine my male parts. I mean, that's just normal kind of behavior. <laughs> Honestly, you're like, hey, it's still there. Like that's... these, so these weird impulses, they call them, can be dismissed as just kind of random whatever. Yeah. They're, they're both shook up because they remember having this strange experience, but it just seems like it didn't happen because everything was normal when they kind of woke up. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that could just be a result of their brain kind of going haywire. But then things get a little more interesting. Oh, sorry, moving on. There's still one more impulse. Sorry, I had scribbled out something. So they both felt compelled to shower to remove, quote, possible contamination. Listen, you said they left this place at 10.30 and they got home at dawn. I'd shower too after being stuck in a car for eight hours. I... That that, that one I will explain. Okay, fair enough. If I'm in a car for a road trip for eight hours, the first thing I'm doing is showering. Anyways, they each draw a picture of what they think they saw. They're trying to reconstruct the chronology of happenings, but their memory's all fragmented, like I said. Yeah. Um, so they sleep for a few hours, because they're at this point just exhausted, and the strange behavior goes on when they wake back up. Okay. Um, so... At this point, a lot of people are like, oh, they just, is it just imagined? Yeah. Did they have a hallucination? Did they have some sort of weird thing that just messed with their brains? But it wasn't actually this whole, you know, craft and figures. Yeah. Um, so this is where I'm going to get into the interesting part, which is the evidence. All right. I like evidence. So both of the watches that they were wearing stop working, and they never work again. That's weird. That's interesting. Um, the leather strap of the binoculars was broken when they got home. His best dress shoes are all scraped up. Her dress is torn at the hem, zipper, and lining. And her impulses are continuing. She puts it in the closet. She later goes back to it and notices there's a weird pinkish powder on it. She hangs it on the clothesline. The powder just kind of blows away, like, off the top of it, but it's still irreparably damaged. Okay. Um, she throws it away, changes her mind, grabs it back, hangs it back up in her closet. So she's kind of, like, having these impulses to kind of... I don't know, it's weird? Yeah, like, the thing is damaged, and it looks like purple cocaine got spilled on it. Sure. And toss it out the, like... And, but then she's like, wait, no, I'm going to keep it. Which might have been subconsciously, like, this is proof. Yeah. I need to hold on to this, possibly. Um, but anyways. So, five uh, laboratories have done chemical and forensic analysis on this dress. That's what the article I was reading says. Okay. But no matter how hard I looked, I could not find any record of what kind of results they found. 
which I assume means they found nothing or something that the government was like, hey, champ. I don't know. It's just, it's weird. Like, you'd, you'd think it, it would at least say tests are ongoing or nothing has been found inconclusive. You'd think it would at least have something. Yeah. But literally all it said was they have done chemical and forensic, forensic analysis. And then I keep reading and I'm like, well... What do they say? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I searched a lot of articles on the internet and stories and I just couldn't find anything. That's odd. So yeah, there's that. Um, there were shiny concentric circles on the, on the truck. I, I wrote car truck. <laughs> I so mean, I don't know if they were driving a car or a truck. You know, the vehicle, the four-wheeled engine. Oh thingy. man! Um, and they did some experimenting with a compass, apparently. And when they brought the compass close to the spots on the car, it whirled around. So interesting. That's interesting too. So September twenty-first, two days later, Betty calls the police air force base to report the encounter. Um, but she tries to kind of water it down almost and withholds details to avoid being called crazy, basically. Yeah, I don't blame her. She goes yeah. up with the full story. They're like, okay, yeah, we're going to send someone down. Uh, he's wearing a white lab coat, but, you know, don't be alarmed by that. He's just here to help. <laughs> yeah, so basically, she she reports it because it's freaky, but she didn't want to just, you know, yeah. be called a kook and have no one do anything about it. Um... So, Major Paul W. Henderson is the man who follows up with with them. Um, and he concludes that they misidentified the planet Jupiter. Which, I don't know. Um, right. But then later, he changes his story to all these different explanations. And he never seems to stick with one explanation. So... He's that, not. He's not exactly being consistent, anyways. I'm not. I'm not saying this is what it is, but that's kind of like the characteristics of a lie. Yeah. Like you can't fully remember all the details, so you either add superfluous details that don't really matter, or your story changes slightly between encounters. Yeah. It sounds like a, a a lie. Yeah. So, anyways, Betty borrows a UFO book from a library because she kind of wants to learn more about stuff. She writes to the author, and the author forwards their their story to um, the National Invest. Oh my gosh, I can't even read my notes because I have so many notes like written in the margins. <laughs> oh, National Investigation Investigative Company for Aerial Phenomenon or something like that. The National Investigative Company for Aerial Phenomenon. I don't know something like that. Wow. What? Just a long name. Yeah. It's just, um, usually it's spelled as N-I-C-A-P. So like, NICAP. NICAP or NICAP or whatever. They called NICAP. Anyways, Walter Webb is an astronomer and he's a member. And he meets the Hills um, October 21st for a six-hour interview. And he concludes that they believe they're telling the truth. Yeah. Um, and there are some uncertain little things which he just, he calls, you know, technicalities, like the, the failures of human judgment, like inconsistencies, like maybe the exact size of the craft wasn't, yeah. they didn't tell it the same every time maybe, or they couldn't remember it properly because their memory was spotty. Well, and, and we as people think we're really good at measurements, but unless you yeah. work in like carpentry or something, eyeballing is... Yeah, a it's lot, not especially accurate. Especially at a distance. Mm-hmm. 
right? Like some play things, if they're standard, you can be like, oh, this is the roof in a, in a house. You're like from the floor to the roof. It's normally about, you know, somewhere between nine to 10 feet, depending on where you are. Yeah. But it's really hard to look at. Like if I was looking at like the, the distance of um, the space in between road lines to separate things, I couldn't tell you. Yeah. I'd say like yeah. five feet maybe, but. So anyways, um, all the times that they tell the story throughout this case, because they will tell it more often, I'll get to that. Yeah. But every single time they tell it, the basic details are always exactly the same. Yeah. It's only little things like, like oh, I can't quite remember, it might have been this big. Or, oh, I can't quite remember like this little detail, like what color the light was, like whatever. Yeah. It's always just these little things. So that's just something to keep in mind. Interesting. Um, so around the 10 day mark after their encounter, um, Betty starts to have vivid dreams for five straight days only for them to then stop. So she has this period, like almost a week long period of vivid dreams. And she says vivid, like exclamation mark, vivid. Okay. As if it was very, very real, very real, or a memory or something. Um, and she says the dream is basically happening um, as if like it happened while they were still driving, and they went through that moment of altered consciousness. Yeah. So they're on the road and they're driving. They take a sudden turn, which is what Barney. Um, felt compelled to do after the incident. He felt compelled to just take a sharp turn. Yeah. They hit a roadblock just like they did then. Um, but in this in this part of the dream, the men surround the car, and they're forced to walk through the forest in the middle of the night. And Betty says in the dream when she looks over at Barney, he kind of looks like he's sleepwalking or like in a trance. Okay. Um, and the figures are short, five feet tall. Um, what I'm about to say is basically the very typical alien description that you get from anybody who claims to have an encounter. Yeah. Which is that they're small, that they wear matching uniforms, that they have near human, like, like proportions. Yeah. Like, you know, two eyes, two ears, two arms, whatever. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. Um, dark hair, yeah. Dark hair, dark eyes, prominent noses, bluish lips, and like a grayish kind of skin. Alright. Yeah. That is like the stereotypical alien, and it means that either A, the same aliens have been screwing with us for so long, to the point that I don't even know what they want anymore, or we have a subconscious, like, after the first few, our concept of aliens tend to conform to that description, and I'm not sure which it is. Yeah, but in any case, moving on from that... She's just describing her dream. Yeah. They're ushered into the craft, and they're separated from each other. Um, she says they're still told, like, telepathically, like, not with actual mouth movement. Okay. But just told, and it was like hearing the words in her brain. Yeah. And she says the words were, quote, in, like, a difficult-to-understand English. Okay. Um... But anyways, they're they're kind of communicated via, you know, brain power, what's happening. So they get separated and that they're going to conduct tests, right? Okay. Details are important here. This is what separates... Like, this account is the most famous UFO encounter, period. 
It's just the most famous one. And one of the reasons is because of how detailed her description of the experiments were. Okay. Very detailed. They cut off a lock of her hair. They examine the outside of her body. Um, save fingernail trim- trimmings. They do a like a, a, um, like a skin scrape with a knife. Um, they test her nervous system. They put a ne- needle right inside her navel. To which she says she experienced excruciating pain. Yeah, I wouldn't want that. Um, you know. And she says for this needle and navel thing, the pain was so bad and she's like, basically like, I'm going to have to pass out from this pain. It's so painful. Yeah. And apparently the creature who was doing the test waved its hands over her eyes and the pain just vanished. So that's interesting. Interesting. Um, so she says there was an, another creature. So there's the creature doing the test on her and then there's the one she calls the leader. Um, and after these tests, things kind of calm down and this leader is in the room with her and allows her to keep this strange book and even shows her a star map when she asks where they come from. Okay. And that's important to remember for later. It's going to come up later. Star map, yeah. Shows her a star map. She she asks, where do you come from? And the creature shows yeah. her a star map. Um, so a, a disagreement breaks out between some of the creatures, she says. And the leader, quote-unquote, takes back the book, saying that the others have decided they shouldn't remember anything. So there's that. Um, so originally, I guess, they were trying to be civil and, like... Yeah, like, I don't know. hey, guys. According to you, her, at least. How you going? Anyway, so they change... There's an argument. They change their mind, so you're not going to remember. They're led back to the car. They be on their merry way. And then Betty and Barney just continue their drive. Huh. Right? So what they remember... This is just her dream. So yeah. what they remember is just... The drive continues. They go into that weird altered state of consciousness, but they wake up and they're still driving. Yeah. So her brain, her dream seems to be suggesting this is what happened while they went into a dazed, yeah, you know, consciousness or whatever. Anyway, that's the dream. Um, and this is kind of what has led to a term that UFOologists like to use, which is called missing time. UFOologists. Yes. It's a word. That's amazing. I don't... It's a word, okay? I want to become an expert in something just so I can call myself an ologist in it. Lord. Like, video game-ologist. Or sarcastiologist. Nice. Because I'm an expert at sarcasm. It'd be great. Moving on. (laughs) This case is... I told you, this case is so famous. Like The the term missing time comes from this case. Because they're the first people to be like, I have missing time. Yeah. Um... So November 25th, they were interviewed again by the same guy, Walter Webb. Um, And some of the weird things they say, he starts to take a bit more seriously at this point. Um, So this is where the whole missing time thing comes in. They realize their drive should be four hours long. Yeah. But they arrive home seven hours later. So they lost three hours of time. So even though it's completely possible that they kind of had this weird thing blacked out and they're still driving when they wake up. It doesn't explain why there's just three hours gone. But you also said they woke up like 56 kilometers back, right? What? 
You said that when they when yes. they woke up last time, so they were they'd gone back fifty seven kilometers. Well, they they had they had continued driving. Oh, they've gone forward. So, like that for hard. example, they um when they look at let's just say the the last time they saw their um like the distance, like the sign that said how long they had to go. Yeah. Then the next time they saw a sign and they were like, wait a minute. Why are we closer than we were before? Okay, I got so, you. So, I don't know if the implication is that, like, the craft kind of picked up their car and brought it somewhere. Or the effect just wiped more of their memory than they originally intended. Yeah, like, it was like, like we're going to wipe your memory. Also, this is going to screw you up for the next 30 minutes. Yeah, something like that. Okay. Anyways. Anyways, so, regardless of whether people believe what they said or believe her dream or any of it... The one thing that can't be denied or explained is there's three hours missing. I can explain it. Okay. They took a nap. Okay. Pulled off to the side of the road, they took a nap. (laughs) Sure. Sure, why not? Um, So, they're telling details. They talk about having, like, the visions of the floating, glowing object. Yeah. And when the guy kind of prompts them to see if they can give a reasonable explanation... Either Betty or Barney, one of them says that it could have just been visions of the moon. Like, maybe we just saw the moon. That's how big they thought it was and how bright. Yeah, so which, it, depending on the proximity, makes sense. Yeah, so, like, like, the star Jupiter theory doesn't make sense because the star Jupiter wouldn't be big in terms of its circular yeah. shape. But the moon is fairly big. Yeah, right? especially depending on where you are in the time of year. So they were like, you know, we could have been seeing the moon. But then the guy says, well... This happened at 10.30. The moon had already set for that evening. How was the moon already set at 10.30? Well, I don't know. Maybe it depends on where it takes place. That seems weird, but I'll take your word for it. I don't know. Um, So they they bring up stuff in the conversation like hypnosis as like a thing that they could try. Um, Barney is still at this point trying to be the more logical of the two, but he thinks it will put this quote-unquote nonsense to rest. I um, like this guy. He's me. So, years follow. They are part of um, a couple of groups, like, I believe, church groups, and also, you know, groups that are more accepting of them as an interracial couple and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and they start bringing up just more, on a more public basis... Like, so they've had private conversations with investigators and with one priest or something, I believe. But now they're starting to kind of have small groups of friends and be like, listen, this happened. We don't know what to do, where to turn. We need guidance. And they're just kind of sharing their stories. Um, So, like, with church groups and whatnot. Um, And so now a man named Simon starts the hypnosis separately. So he hypnotizes them Separately, yeah. Separately from each other. Um, beginning in January uh, 1964. So let's talk about Barney first. His account is shorter, but to be fair, Betty says that he seemed all like... Sleepwalking. Sleepwalking? Yeah. But anyways, he says under hypnosis, he remembers being compelled to drive into the woods. Same as Betty said. He remembers being separated, put on the exam table. He remembers having a cut... A cup put over his man parts, and he do? says, "You know, maybe, maybe there was sperm removed. I don't know." Huh. Um, he says that when they did their telekinesis thing, they spoke a mumbling language to each other, 
but they could also speak a weird English to them. And yeah, under hypnosis, he says, they spoke, but their mouths were not moving. Yeah. He called it, quote, thought transference, because like I said, they didn't have the term telepathy. That sounds telepathy. so much cooler than telepathy. Yes. Like, what's your superpower? It's thought transference. It sounds dope. I know. That's awesome, hey? So anyways, that's everything that he says under hypnosis. Now we get to Betty. Her hypnosis sessions are completely consistent with his, so with Barney's hypnosis. Yeah. There's just smaller details that are slightly different from her dream. Okay. But her dream is just, you know, a dream. Yeah. So to most people, what's important is that the hypnosis was completely the same. Um, so anyways, um, so she's asked to cre- recreate the star map hologram thing that she was shown. Yeah. So she draws 12 um, prominent stars that are all connected by lines, and then three lesser ones that are kind of making this triangle shape. Okay. I'm going to pull up a picture and stuff for you, but that's just a basic description. Okay. All right. So she draws the star map. She says the solid lines that she drew were, quote, trade routes. And the dashed lines are less traveled stars. Okay. Here, you're peeking at it, so I'll just show you now. That's the sketch. All right. Um, not a great sketch, but, you know, that's what she drew. <clears throat> so, Simon's conclusions after the hypnosis. Their emotional recollections were genuine. Because they were full of tears, they were overwhelmed, yeah. they were anxious. So the emotional part is real. So they, they do believe it happened. They fully believe they have an emotional in their connection. hearts and minds that this happened to them. Um, he thinks, you know, these memories, quote, could be fantasies triggered by the dreams. But it's just, that's that theory, like, I'm not saying this did happen to them, but it seems odd that he would say that when this whole event happened before she had the dreams. It's just kind of... yeah. But, like, maybe they used the dream as a way to try and explain their weird blackout thing they experienced. I don't know. It just... I mean, if she was thinking about it so much that her subconscious mind was really irritated and trying to figure out what the heck happened, yeah. it's entirely possible that her mind created this yeah. as an attempt to explain. And she'd already assumed it was aliens, so her right. mind was like, okay, let's roll with it. But then the other... Um, the other compelling thing is that Betty and Barney were interviewed separately and their stories were consistent under hypnosis. That was also three years later. True. They so... had a lot of time to talk about it and, and convince yeah, themselves it was true. That's fair. If it was done right after, I agree. I'd be like, that's odd. Okay. But the that's three fair. years, like, that to me loses a little bit of credibility. Okay. That's fair. Anyways. Moving on to the conclusion of the story. Yeah. So after the hypnosis sessions, Barney, who was at first kind of trying to be logical and skeptical, at this point he's convinced that the memories are genuine. Okay. Due to the the unique aspects and the very high detail of both of their recollections. So um, the couple is open, upfront, and very public about talking to whoever wants to know about their case. Um, but that being said, they didn't actively seek publicity or anything. 
Okay. So all, all of the, like, if you Google this later, all of the articles and books and stuff about their case, they're all written by other people. Yeah, they didn't write anything. So, yeah, they didn't, like, write a book and say, we're the famous people who got abducted. Like, no. But they but they were like, if you want to talk to us about it, we're happy to tell you what happened. Yeah. We fully believe that this happened to us. Moving on, 1968. Marjorie Fish is an elementary teacher and an amateur astronomer. And she's reading an article and sees the star map that Betty drew in this article. This is where it gets cool and crazy. I had no where you're going with this. Just wait. She spends years studying thousands of vantage points from different galaxies. And the map that Betty drew only matches one viewpoint from one star system. Um, it's a two-star system called Zeta Reticuli. Cool name. And when she realizes that this is the vantage point that the star map is is like shown from, yeah. she submits her findings to Astronomy Magazine to try and generate an open discussion slash debate. Okay. So now it's an ongoing discussion slash debate thing. Okay. But I'm going to give you another look at the star map that she drew. Okay. That is the star system. Viewpoint. It's just me going back and forth on it if you're wondering what's happening. Um, so you guys can, listeners, you can find the, these pictures on Google very easily. You just have to type Betty Hill star map or drawing or whatever. And the reason Scoff is silent right now is because they match. They're pretty close. Perfectly. They're pretty close. I, I'm still not necessarily convinced. And I have a reason for it, but you're not okay. going to like it. You're going to call me names. Okay. There are billions upon billions upon trillions of stars. Okay. If I grab a piece of paper and I randomly drew stars on it, I guarantee that from some angle somewhere in the universe, it's going to match up perfectly. It'd be okay. impossible if it wasn't. That, that would explain dots. But how do you explain the lines then? Well, why do these ones have lines? What's the lines in the actual picture mean? The lines in the picture that she drew are called roots. Yeah, the trade roots. What about the actual I don't ones? know what they are in the actual picture. I think picture. they're just I'm, drawn. I'm not an astronomer. I think they're just drawn to show the connection to the one she drew. It's not like stars have like a super highway between I mean, them. That possibly. We see. I think that if you, yeah, like the universe is so big that if you pick a spot, you will find stars that match up perfectly at a certain angle or okay. from a certain location. There's too many for it not to. Well, we'll leave this decision up to whoever is listening. We'll leave the, yeah, the decision. You're is allowed listening. to decide that that's what you think. It's, it is what I think. I think it's cool that they match up. Doesn't mean she was abducted by aliens and shown a star map. No. No, it is very cool. But it's very cool. It's neat. I it's will give cool you that. It's cool to be flipping through these pictures and being like, dude. They're the same. It they're is the cool. same. It is neat. Um, so anyways, it's very fascinating. Google the pictures, guys. Um, so we're moving on to the, the conclusion here. A lot of psychiatrists say about this case, this is the stupidest thing I've heard all day. <laughs> it could be, quote... A hallucination brought on by the stress of being an interracial couple. <laughs> How uh, stupid oh, do 60s. you have you are great. to be? 
It does not end in the 60s, my friend. I read a Twitter post today about a a wedding photographer who sent an email to somebody. This is 2020. And she sends an email to a couple saying, I'm very excited for you. I hope you have a wonderful wedding. But we don't uh, we don't film uh, homosexual weddings. Oh, yeah. I saw that one, too. Like, that's bullshit. Yeah, people are people. So this people happens in any era. And this psychiatrist is dismissing their claims. I'm not saying that he doesn't have a right to his opinion. But saying that they're stressed by being an interracial couple, are you shitting me? Like, I respect your opinion, but given that it's a stupid-ass opinion, I elect to disagree with it. <laughs> I elected to ignore it. What's that from? <laughs> Avengers. Uh, oh, yeah. Movie. Oh, yeah, the original one, right? Ah, uh, yeah. Nice. Good times. Anyways. Um, so, because Betty was the one in the relationship who kind of started really having an interest in aliens and abductions after this happened to her, people got kind of suspicious with what they called her obsession. Because she would go on, like, sighting hunts and stuff. Um, But, you know, people who knew her said, first of all, her sister claimed to have seen one before this encounter happened. Yeah. Um, And, you know, a lot of people had an obsession, including her, from before the encounter, because there's all these popular television shows, films, and radio broadcasts and stuff in those days. Yeah, the concept of this wasn't new. It wasn't brand new. It wasn't brand new. No. It was kind of like almost at its peak. Yeah. Right? During the, I'd say, 60s and 70s into the 80s is kind of like when everyone's yeah. like, aliens! Sure, that's fair. So anyways, um, it's obviously highly debated and you have people on both ends of the spectrum, obviously. But I just, I had to cover all of these details, even though it took a while, because... Yeah. There's just so much to unpack with this case. And even though it might not be... Like, it's the most famous case. There are some I want to talk about in later seasons that are even more compelling in terms of the proof. Like, the proof is even more interesting. Yeah. But I think there's enough here to be like, well, that's compelling. There's enough to say it's odd. Yeah. But I, I do believe that, like, enough of it can kind of be explained... That what you're left with is the human brain is a really odd thing. Mm-hmm. And another event, something absolutely could have happened that night. I'm not saying UFOs, but like saying something could have that their brains filled in with other stuff. Like I've used right. this example. I don't know if I've ever used it on, on this podcast before, but I've done it with you a bunch of times. When we talk about like um, hauntings. Right? People will describe like, hey, I saw a black-haired girl and I stayed at this haunted mansion. And then the next person that goes there will see, I saw the black-haired girl too. Well, right. because you knew to expect. Right. Right. When you go to bed and you see a bunch of clothes lying on your chair, your brain is filling that in. Mm-hmm. Especially if you've been hurrying before, there's a black-haired girl. Your right. brain's going to be like, oh, it's there. Yeah. Right? So even that... <clears throat> Like, maybe something completely different happened. Maybe it was, like, a a military drill or some weird natural phenomenon. Or, you know, they fell asleep after eating some weird side world mushrooms. I don't know. And their brains filled it in with what they thought was the most logical explanation. And Mm -hmm. that's why they believe it. Right. To me, that makes more sense than aliens abduct, put you back, wipe your memories, run away with the data... Okay. And, and do you know God knows what with yeah. it, right? But yeah, I do fair. agree there is enough that's odd about this case to make it very interesting. And I could be wrong, 
Because I, I am actually a believer that we are not alone. I just don't think that we've been visited yet. Okay. That's I'm fair. I'm one of those. I definitely, I definitely think, yeah, other life has been out there. Other life is out there, whether intelligent or just basic. I just don't think that it's visited Earth because of a simple reason. If it could visit Earth, why are we still here? Yeah, fair. If it's sufficient technology to visit Earth, it's sufficient technology to wipe us out or dominate us. The only thing I want... So, I do want to ask you, though, because this is such a famous case. I'm pretty sure there's a muse... Like, all of the things involved in the case and the evidence and stuff is all, like, in museums and yeah. stuff. Would you go see that? I'd go see it. I'd like, check it out. Yeah? I'm down with that. completely forgot to show you a picture of her dress. That's her dress. So you can see the weird kind of pink powder on it. Interesting. Interesting. But yeah, um, listeners, I hope you enjoyed this. I hope you, um, like, I obviously went through this really quickly and tried to summarize as much as I could, but I hope if you're interested that you look up some of the articles and stuff that I read through and, and the pictures of the dress and the star map and all that stuff, because it's just, it's kind of neat. It was interesting. I enjoyed very, it. And it's, there's a reason it's the most famous case, right? It was very good. Alrighty, well, we're moving on to episode 7. This one, now after the whole Omen film curse one and the UFO thingy, this one, I do promise, is more down to earth. And it's... Okay. This is another one that's documented. down to earth? No aliens? <laughs> <laughs> I hate myself. Uh, moving on. Um, I do promise it is because this one is kind of like the um, true crime episode where it's all documented. Got and it. it's, tr- it's true that it happened, but it's crazy. I like it. I'm looking forward to it. Alrighty. We will see you guys next time. Thanks for listening. Have a good one. Bye. <laughs>